Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, where we explore the intersection of work and well-being. I'm your host, Coach Marty, and each episode I interview mental health experts, coaches, and industry insiders to bring you practical insights and tips that will help you build a meaningful, rewarding, and sustainable career. So join me as we explore the path to career satisfaction one conversation at a time. In today's episode, we sit down with Laura Eflund, a mental health leader dedicated to creating safe and impactful spaces for clinicians and clients. She's the director of adult programs at Equip, the founder of the Clinician Development Collective, and the host of the Clinician to Clinician podcast. Together, we discuss how to get comfortable being perfectly imperfect in our careers, how to calm down and find moments of flow at work, and how to leverage your strengths to increase your levels of confidence, resilience, and tolerance. If you're enjoying the Career Therapy Podcast, please leave us a review on Spotify or iTunes and share this episode with someone you know who is struggling with burnout at work or in their job search so that we can help more people navigate their way to a better career. Thanks for tuning in. Now on to our conversation with Laura Eflund. Laura, thank you for joining us today. I'm so excited to chat about all these different topics in regards to imposter syndrome, knowing our strengths and building our awareness, acceptance and action. As we get into things today, I just want to say uh, I really loved your talk on perfectly imperfect love tips to recognize and move past relationship OCD that you gave at the ADAA, the Anxiety Depression Association of America. A lot of words. <laughs> but yeah. um <laughs> But you you gave this really great talk and um, so many of the things that you talked about and so much of what happens in the job search, there's a lot of kind of Venn diagram overlap between relationships and career relationships. And I think yeah. it'll be really fun to dig in today um, into your history and your work and see what we can kind of pull from that world and help people maybe navigate their overwhelm and their nervousness or imposter syndrome in the job search. So I'd love for you to give us a little bit of a background of your work and how you got into mm -hmm. what you're doing today. Kick us off. Yeah. Hello, Martin. Thank you so much. Um, it was really great, you know, to hear that you were a part of the the talk and I'm so glad that you um, took a lot away from it because so I am a licensed independent clinical social worker. Um, I specialize in um, mood, anxiety, eating disorders, and trauma. Um, I have been um, over the last two decades of my career, I've had, you know, just an incredible professional journey. Um, and I am kind of someone who has been a part of large program development and organizational development in curriculum for those who are struggling with mood, anxiety, eating disorders, and trauma. And so um, I have really just been blessed to be able to create some really cool programs um, for thousands of individuals to receive that treatment and that care. And I continue to do that um, in the private sector. And one of my, so that's one of my passions. And, um, the other passion that I have is supporting, developing, and educating. Um, and really those that are before me now in their careers in mental health. And so I started the clinician development collective because I really do believe that clinicians, mental health therapists, really do deserve the very best um, support and, and training and guidance 
regardless of where they work. Um, you know, that a lot of us are going into the field, you know, wanting the experience, wanting the opportunity to really become an excellent therapist. And it's a toss up, you know, what kind of training you're going to get, what kind of mentorship there's going to be around you at your job site. Um, what professional development, who's going to invest in you. Um, and so I wanted to create a space that um, you can get all of that at a very high quality level um, at various, you know, price points from all the way to free to, you know, really investing in yourself. So I am taking that program background, you know, that program development background, and I'm applying it now um, to both sides, the, the client and the provider. I love that. And, you know, I think one of the things that's so interesting in the different topics that you cover is this concept of perfectionism. I think when it comes to being a good clinician, when it comes to being a good worker, when it comes to being good in whatever relationship you're trying to be good in, I think perfectionism can sometimes really get in the way. And, you know, your talk was called Perfectly Imperfect Love. And I almost am like, how do we create perfectly <laughs> imperfect careers, right? And so when you think of some, when when we think of perfectionism in the context of our career, whether we're clinicians or whether we're just in a, you know, a complex work environment that so many of us are in, um, where do you see perfectionism showing up the most and how does it impact people? Oh my gosh. I love that. And thank you, Martin, for bringing it up. So this is a huge topic that I talk a lot about with my supervisees and consultees. And I actually am a strong believer in sharing, um, you know, my story. So is to show that you can still be successful and still be imperfect and the sense of, I was a perfectionist. I really felt that, especially when I was right out of the gate, going into my professional career, that I had to know everything. I could not show that I didn't understand or that I didn't have a, a good sense of what I was doing. And so I felt like I had to fake it until I was the expert, right? And so just to come off like the expert. And unfortunately, it caused so much stress for me. The only person that was really impacted by that was me. And ultimately, it actually caused me to not be as present, you know, in the session because I was so caught up on am I saying the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? And that in, you know, that feeling of insecurity, that feeling of of worry and overwhelm of like, am I going to make a mistake actually prevented me at times from taking a risk, putting myself out there. Like that felt really scary. And so the thing that I work on with individuals now who are in the beginning of their careers, a, I share that they're not alone. You are so not alone. There's so many people out there that feel that way. And, and how to take that and flip it into, this is a learning environment. And in order to learn, we have to make mistakes. So that perfectly imperfect is that we actually will gain so much more in that imperfection than we will in that perception of perfection. And so we want to actually live our lives saying, oops, so I made a mistake. That's awesome. What can I learn here? 
And, oh my gosh, I'm so proud of myself for actually trying. Okay. It didn't work out. And so I'm, and I say that, and I first want to, you know, kind of with the caveat, Hey, that is not going to be your first reaction to yourself. You'd be like, God, what is wrong with me? Why can't I do this? Like I see so-and-so and look at how, you know, successful they are. And that's okay. And to catch yourself and to say, okay, I could beat myself up or I could actually really give myself the gratitude that I tried and what did it, what can I learn? And everything is figure outable. I can figure this out. And so what do I need to learn from here to like keep moving forward? Everything is figure outable. I love that. Uh, one of the things <laughs> that you said there was it's a perception of perfection. And I think that that's a really important thing to uh, kind of linger on for a second, because even if you think you're, even when you're striving for, for, for perfection, when you're being a perfectionist, it doesn't mean you're actually being perfect. And that's, I think, <laughs> the most important thing. It's like we can put ourselves in knots and still not be perfect, right? And oh, the yeah. truth is there is no perfection. And, I, and it makes me just think of another funny turn of phrase, which is we're going to be imperfect in our pursuit of imperfection. <laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> you know, even trying, it's like sometimes people will turn around and be like, well, then I want to be perfect at being imperfect. And it's like, okay, we're, right. we're, we're just going in circles here. Um, yeah. And so, when it comes to like actually giving ourselves that gratitude and giving ourselves that space to stop beating ourselves up, um, are there any uh, exercises that you've given people um, that can help them pause or or slow down the rumination? Because I do feel like so much of this, like I've been talking with people a lot about the difference between like the cognitive versus the somatic and how our body and brain connect and um, you know, sometimes we can rationally know, yeah, it's okay to be imperfect, but our body doesn't quite mm -hmm. catch up to the brain and still is, is in like mm -hmm. fight or flight. Um, do you have any tips for people who are maybe they're hearing this? They're like, yeah, I agree, but they just can't get themselves there. What are some things they can yeah. do to, to slow down? So super simple, easy to remember because we all were taught this in kindergarten. Do you remember stop, drop, roll? Yeah. <laughs> So we're going to change that language, but with the same, you know, kind of thought about it, which is distract, relax, hope. So we first need to catch ourselves just like, Hey, I'm on fire. Like I got to stop. And to notice what that feeling is like. So if you are spinning your wheels, ruminating, getting really stuck in this you know, thought cycle of like, oh my God, what did I do? Worst case scenario now, like, no, you know, I'm not going to get that promotion or now everything that I worked so hard for is completely, is that all or nothing thinking, right? We want to distract, which means I, you know, I want you to find something else to do that is not as much mental energy. So for instance, if you are someone that actually finds um, you can get really distracted in folding your laundry, go fold your laundry. If you, if you work from home, <laughs> if you get really, if you get distracted, maybe then just get up from your desk and walk around the office, pretend that you're going to get some water, pretend that you're going to get some more, you know, not coffee. I don't recommend that, <laughs> but going and getting some decaffeinated tea or something, do something else, but you have to change 
your situation. You have to change your scene and you have to change whatever it is that you're doing because you have to shift the brain away and give it a different task. So it's essentially like, you know, when you work with a toddler and the toddler's kind of like getting frustrated or antsy, you give it a different toy, you give it something else. That's what we're doing to our brain. Our brain is becoming an, a temper tantruming toddler. Hmm. Okay. The second one, the relax. So once you've distracted, don't just go right back to ruminating because we're not done yet. You have to find then a relaxation. So that's where then you, maybe you need to go to the bathroom, lock your door, lock yourself in the stall and listen to a meditation or listen to a relaxing song or something that's going to bring you down. And then you're going to work with your breath, but you have to find something that works for you or going for like a walk around the block and really kind of relax people's Um, but you have to keep bringing yourself back to the relaxation versus the rumination of whatever it was that your mind was getting stuck on. All right. So now you've done that for about five minutes. Now you're going to go back to your desk. That's where you're going to cope. And what I want you to do is I want you to think about, so I can either change my interpretation So find another way of looking at this. I can problem solve. So what is the problem? And what are the various solutions that I could potentially do with this? Or maybe there's some radical acceptance. And the radical acceptance is there's not much that I don't have control over this situation. This is one of those things that I kind of have to let go. And it's happening for reasons that maybe I don't understand. And so how can I just accept this for what it is and find something that I can, that I do have control over, which is, okay, I'm just going to take the next, you know, thing on my to-do list. And I'm going to do the best that I can with that. Cause that's all I have control over right now. Or you can go right back to ruminating, which is not doing anything else differently and remaining miserable. And it's okay if you choose that, cause we all do it. <laughs> And you want to be aware of when you're choosing that. Getting stuck back in the fire is okay. It's just catch yourself when you're doing it. And if you find that this is, so let's say you do all of that and you're still stuck, do the whole thing over again, distract, relax, cope. Because sitting there and trying to push yourself through is not going to help. It's actually just going to continue to be on fire without doing anything about it. I love that. Um, There's so much in there. And I think uh, one of the things that sort of comes up for me as I'm thinking about that is why, why are people so resistant to wanting to go through that process? And why might we want to return to that rumination, that fire, right? And I think so much of it is rooted in this if I accept, if I, um, you know, change my interpretation, or if I try to solve the problem, then I'm opening myself up to danger. And I think it starts to trigger a lot of those deeper, maybe issues (laughs) that could come up, you know, you're at work, you're applying for a job, it might just be an email, but it's triggering stuff that oh emails are the worst (laughs) (laughs) it pulls it it just rips you open and pulls out like yes like you said it's a toddler inside you that's throwing a tantrum it's like 
you know, how do we take care of that toddler? How do we get that toddler maybe to mature a little bit? Um, Because I think sometimes a toddler wants us to keep that because, you know, I, one of the things that I find so interesting about pain is that, uh, or discomfort or whatever these things are, is that sometimes it like feels good to be angry. Like sometimes like uh, it makes you feel um, better then, right? If if yeah. you're upset with this company because they're not emailing you back in time, it makes you feel like you're someone who's like, I'm always the one who responds back in time and they stink and I'm going to be <laughs> upset. You know, it, it there's this odd like pleasure in the pain. And I'm curious yeah. what, what you've seen with that and how, how we might be able to to mature that perspective. Oh my gosh. And that in itself, Martin, we could do a whole nother podcast on, but I'm going to try to summarize. (laughs) So, um, okay. First, I want to answer your first question because it's a good one, which is, and this is, this is my opinion. This, you know, my, my very educated collection of understanding of the research and what human behavior and what that's all about and why, why do we resist change? When change is the only constant in our lives as human beings, and honestly, it's it's actually in the, the way I see it, it's because our strength as a human being can also be our burden. So our our strength as a human being is actually our perseverance, our want for our action to produce a positive outcome. Okay. We want to move forward. We want to, as that's what makes us human beings and really good at building this incredible world that we now live in. So, however, when we are facing a problem, it's very hard for us sometimes to see when continuing to put action or doing into this is not going to be effective. And that's where we actually have to learn how to let go. But it's hard because our pride gets in our way. We want to be right. We want to be action-oriented. We Passive does not feel powerful. And in those moments of distress, you know, some of us look for power. Some of us look for energy, action, movement to show that we're doing something about it. And perseverating, worrying, um, becoming angry. Those are all action oriented feelings. So we get stuck in them because it feels like we're doing something about it. And then, and even when the outsider is like, uh, you're not doing much, (laughs) you're not going very, going anywhere, (laughs) if anything, you're digging yourself deeper into your hole we still, it's hard for us to see that clearly and objectively. Okay. So we have to put effort into, and I know you and I talked about this into awareness. We have to become aware of our, butt. (laughs) we all have one, which is when we get stuck, when we are, we are in our hole and we're digging ourselves deeper rather than figuring out a way out. And so how do we figure that out is, you know, through this next thing, which is what you described the next part of your, your question, which is like, so, you know, what do we do? And so, um, 
I was actually just talking with my husband, who's also a leader, but in education. And, um, it is the compass of shame is, is a rich place. And the compass of shame is where we want that action oriented side of us either wants to become the helper. So the hero, someone who comes into it and they fix it and they want to do something about it. Um, the victim or the villain. So the hero, the victim, or the villain, the victim is a little bit what you just described. And I get stuck in that. So I haven't heard back from my boss and I put myself out there and I asked for something and I haven't heard back. My compass of shame is starting to twirl (laughs) and I become the, well, you know, why, you know, what's wrong with them? Like I would have gotten back to this person. Like, you know, what a poor leadership skill that is. Right. So that makes me feel better. It doesn't make me feel so alone with this shame. It makes me feel like, okay, I've got good qualities. I'm, you know, I'm still valid. I'm still a good worker, even though I haven't heard back from my boss. Right. And the villain would stir the pot. So they would, their action would be more, um, excuse me, I haven't, you know, oh, I haven't heard back from you, or they may, you know, they may become aggressive in their conference, their conversations about, they may actually go around the, the office and start gossiping about the boss a little bit. Okay. So stirring the pot a little bit and the hero would do something to like stand out and be even better and show how great they are. They would overcompensate. They would try to do something to make them feel really, um, important and, you know, a contributor or so forth. Like they would go, they would maybe take on another project or something like that just to prove their worth. But that's all the compass of shame. So we have reasons. So if there's like a small takeaway from this (laughs) deep conversation that we're having is that we have reasons for why we behave the way that we do. Otherwise we wouldn't do it. And to give ourselves that benefit of the doubt that we're not trying to hurt ourselves. We're not trying to hurt others. We're just trying to to get through. We're trying to survive. We're trying to succeed, right? And sometimes we get lost along the way. I love that. And when, when we all, so if we can take a moment and we can sort of sit in that, right? And realize, okay, I'm being the victim right now. I'm trying to be the villain right now. I'm trying to do whatever the thing might be, right? We catch ourselves, we go through that process and we can, you know, slow ourselves down. We can distract, relax, we can cope. We can try and come up with a new way to approach it. Um, If we weren't being the hero, the victim or the villain, what is that fourth thing that we could be? That is productive, that is connecting, that is helping people get out of their own way. I love that. So this is different for everyone, but essentially the way I bring it back down to is what is your well-being? So your well-being is when you are in balance. You are aware of your your uh, misgivings, you're aware of your strengths, you're aware of yourself and kind of the whole three dimensions. And you're compassionate with yourself and you give yourself space and grace to 
walk through this really messy life. And so that's where you are in your, you know, I just like that, that visual of like, you're in your well being of like, you have come into your confidence of, okay, like this is not perfect. It is messy. And I can still figure this out. I just have to slow down. I have to like get my bearings, figure out what I can actually effectively effectively is a huge word to ask yourself. It's not, what am I going to achieve in the, in the short term? It's what do I want to achieve in the long term? Where do I want, where do I want to see myself after all of this? How do I want to feel about the way I acted? How do I want to feel about the way that I navigated this? It's maybe a really awful situation and there's, you know, and that does suck. And I still can effectively navigate this. I just have to work at it a little bit because it's so tricky. I love that. And so it's like, you know, we can be that victim, that villain, that hero, or we can be that like helper character, right? That helper to ourselves, that helper to others, kind of being able to bridge both sides of that gap and just get out of our own way. And I think you mentioned that also brings us back to our strengths. And so when it comes to understanding our weaknesses, I think a lot of people, you know, we have imposter syndrome. We know all of our faults to some degree. Maybe some are more hidden than others. And a little quieter in the way that they push us. Right. But um, <laughs> I think when I talk with people, especially in the job search, you know, uh, if I said, what, you know, what are you terrible at? They could give me a list that goes out the door. If I say, what are you great at? They're like, Oh, um, I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah. um, when it comes <laughs> to that imposter syndrome piece and that strengths piece, how do we dig into those things and really get a balanced view of ourselves? Cause I do think that it's, quite weighted a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, and I, I appreciate that you bring that up. And that's actually, so with, within the, um, program that I am, you know, that I've developed for mental health therapists, because they go through all of this the same way as any other professional who's trying to develop themselves in their career. So this will apply to anyone that is listening and that you actually want to do more assessment and investigation of yourself. And so you want to first ask yourself your values. And so I actually have, you know, created a values sort where you get to kind of sift through the top values and figure out what is, what's the most top five things that are most important to me in my life. And that becomes your compass. Okay. So like your overarching guide is, you know, am I going in the correct direction based on my values? because they are subjective. And the next one is to ask is to do an assessment of your strengths because we all have the capacity to be good at a skill, right? Because it just takes time, learning, and practice to become good at something. If you were to focus on your strengths, you actually will, studies have shown, you will go so much further because you will now be able to focus on what makes you great. And that is so much more worth your time and energy versus focusing on your weaknesses. Your weaknesses are going to be more your things that you can get good at. Now, the things that you can get great at though, are going to feed you and have so much more of like a positive feedback loop that the energy and the time and the effort that you put into it, you're going to get so much more back from it. 
So we want to do a full assessment and actually do a 90 minute strengths finder, um, assessment with the, with my client to then go over what your strengths are. And now, cause now that you know what your, your strengths are, how do you apply them? How do you start to use them to really become a cornerstone to like, okay, where do I put my time and my energy? What particular careers or professions align with my strengths or within this company, this organization? Um, how do I do, you know, how do I focus on my strengths in this, in this group of people? You know, that's what makes you unique and stand out. And it will, it will really help you feel like you're, you're really swimming in the right direction with the current versus against the current. Yeah. And when it comes to knowing our values and our strengths, um, I hope people go and take those tests, strengths finders. I just retook the VIA test yesterday on values. Nice. Um, so I was like, oh, I compared my, my top five from seven years ago with my top five now and found like the, mm-hmm. the consistencies over time. Um, nice. And so when, but I think when I talk to people about values and strengths, you know, this comes up very often and people nod their head, but then they like don't actually understand what a value is and what yeah. a strength is and how they differ. Uh, do you have any yeah. examples of values and strengths and, and how the two um, differ from each other? Yes, absolutely. So a value is something that it's almost like a category. So there are so many different categories of things and people and places that, that we believe are important to us. And as we age, so as children, we really are being um, influenced by our parents' values. So what's, what's a value within your community? you know, going to a particular school, what's a value in your school? What's a value within your family? And then when you become older, you now have to ask yourself your, that question, well, what is important to me? So for instance, do you value building a profession that you feel very motivated because it is doing good in the world? Or are you motivated by the money, the status, the, you know, the wealth that you could, that you can build in your profession. And neither one is good or bad. It is not a judgment. It's just, you really want to ask yourself what motivates you or what, what category is really ultimately that overarching importance. Because when you then go to do the work, like, let's say, you know, and I talk about this because this is like a a, a big conversation in social work. If you, if you become a social worker, you can go into community mental health and make very little money. Okay. And, but your asset and your advocacy and your imprint on the community in which you live in is so big. It may be so much more support, you know, so much more of a feed to that, that value of yours of being a contributor to your community. And that value means so much more to you than making wealth. Now, if you are in that community-based organization and you keep, 
year after year after year being like, yeah, I like my job, but it's actually very exhausting. And I'm really, you know, upset and, and, um, resentful of the fact that I don't make any money. And I see all my friends making all this money that sounds a little bit more like a value of someone who wants to begin to see an increase in their salary and their wealth over time and that their effort is building and they can see it in that tangible salary number. So then you kind of have to ask yourself, all right, I want to help people, but I, but it's not to the detriment of my, of my salary. So then you have to kind of adjust. Okay. So then maybe this isn't the best line of, this isn't the best place to be working. Now I can, I can still help people and I can make more money. So let's find a position that I still feel like I am helping people. And I feel like I have more control over my income. And that's much, more aligned with that value. Yeah. And how much do these values change throughout our lives? Do they change? Do they typically stay pretty static? You know, what, what have you seen? Actually, and it's funny that you said seven years. So I actually say, imagine, so it's like our taste buds change every seven years. Our values are going to change <laughs> about every time that you go through a major transition in your life. You do want to go back and reflect on your values. So you just graduated from college. Your values are going to be very different from when you were 18 and in high school and just entering college. So that's like a four-year difference. And where, but then like from 22 to like 20, you know, who knows, like 30 or so forth, you don't have that much of a difference. Your values are pretty much the same, but you want to kind of check in with yourself as you're noticing big transitions in your lives. However, but then if you become partnered with someone and you feel really committed to them, your values are going to change because now you've added a huge transition into your life. And so looking at that now, the other thing that I say to people that if you are going through therapy or you are going through a course, that is a concentrated level of transition. So from the moment that you start that course to the end of the, you know, whether it's the beginning of therapy, the end of therapy, there's going to be a huge change. So even in six months, you may want to reassess your values. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Career Therapy's Unstuck Coaching Program, which was built to give you the personalized support you need to advance in your career without fear and turn work-related anxiety into professional accomplishments. When you enroll in the Unstuck Coaching Program's monthly membership, you get immediate access to all of the coaching resources you need to crush it in your job search. This includes two one-on-one -on -one calls with Coach Marty every month, weekly job search support group sessions with the Unstuck community, access to the Unstuck curriculum, which guides you through every aspect of your job search from strategy through negotiations, and an invite to the Career Therapy Slack channel where you can chat with Coach Marty whenever job search questions come up. Want to see if the Unstuck Coaching Program is right for you? Head over to careertherapy.com and schedule a free consultation with me in order to find out. And then once we're reassessing our values and really figuring out what's important to us, then we can go a little bit deeper into the specifics of our strengths. How, 
you know, when you're working with people on the strengths finders and um, I'm not sure which one you're using, but I, I, re I remember like maximizer. Gallup. Yeah. Gallup. So like maximizer, <laughs> I think yeah. um, mediator was in my top ones or something like that. Uh, what are some of the, t the, like, I think when people think of strengths, they think of like a, I'm a coder or something like that. But um, what, what do you, what are some examples of different strengths and how have you seen people come to a realization of what their actual strengths are and then actually make a change in the way that they show yeah. up. So strengths are different. So you want to think about your values are something that you are learning over the course of time. And so it is something that is, um, you know, it's, in, it's intrinsically driven, but it's also something that's externally shaped you know, based on like what's going on in your life circumstances and so forth. Your strengths are inherent, meaning you are born with these qualities that you really ultimately, you can start to kind of, you like I was saying before, you can build effort or you can build time and energy and effort into helping some of the things that, you know, like, let's say you're not that great at organizing. It doesn't mean that you can't learn how to organize, but you are not inherently designed. Your brain does not see organization and just easily sees the beginning, middle and end of what that project is going to look like and those steps that you're going to take and, and so forth versus you could be incredibly creative. And so you like the mess and the chaos actually helps you kind of see the gaps and you can kind of make different ways of looking at it. That's an inherent strength that you're not taught, but you're just born with in your, in your temperament, in your personality, in your neurodevelopment. Um, and also just your cognitive, you know, everybody's got like cognitive different capacities and, and qualities. So you want, it's almost like, what's your blueprint? You want to learn about yourself in the sense of like, okay, what's my makeup? Like, who am I and how can I work? You know, you can go deeper into temperament. I think temperament's really great. Personality tests are great, but strengths is a really simple way to learn, especially in your professional development. How do I want to grow over time? And back to that really important research that shows focusing on your strengths is going to take you a lot further than focusing on your weaknesses and back to, because we will only get stuck in beating ourselves up. We will reinforce that imposter syndrome. If we focus on our weaknesses, because you're not going to be able to go as far with them because back to, you can get good at the skill, but that doesn't mean that you can necessarily be great at it where you can put less effort, less energy, less time into your strengths and become great. Like you can go further than your weaknesses. I love that. And, and you mentioned temperament. Can you give a little bit of a breakdown of, of what temperament is for those that don't know? Yeah. So, um, can I use you and I as an example? Let's do it. Yes. <laughs> so Martin, you, you know, you and I have, we've only met a, a couple of times now, but like, you're very kind and thoughtful and you pause and you're a listener and you take, you take in your surroundings. So you're, you know, you really are, you know, thoughtful in that versus. So in that sense, what the temperament is, you know, someone who may be more, um, more aware of their surroundings, 
more wanting to kind of read the room before they just jump in, like really want to get getting a sense of what is what's happening and, and being more, um, what is, you know, I don't know. It's just more thoughtful in, in their sense versus more of an impulsive temperament is someone who would just throw themselves into whatever's happening because it's exciting. This is so cool. Like, we'll just, you know, you and I sat down, we planned the entire podcast before we started. Okay. You and I are very similar. (laughs) (laughs) I like, I like to see what's ahead. I don't want to be surprised where I could be working with someone in this podcast and they would just, you know, they'd be like, so excited. We're just going to like talk and everything will be great. And like, I know, you know, I read your website, blah, blah, blah. Let's just go. That is more of the, let's just throw ourselves into it. This is the time. This is the moment. This is exciting. They're getting pushed through based off of the possibilities, the opportunities. They're like the, you know, so I always like to kind of talk about the two sides of that is like, it's like the party planner and the, and the host of the party, you know, the one who likes to be at the party versus plan the party. So the temperament side of it is also just the way that we're wired. We're like, I am similar to you. I am an observer. I like to take in my surroundings. Like if I am new to a group, I do not just, I'm, it's actually like scary for me to just go up to a stranger and talk to them. And I have to like warm up to the social situation. I warm up to new groups. I warm up to new teams. And then I'm like, and then I can get really comfortable and then I'm just super chatty and so forth. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's my temperament that I know that about myself. Um, There's lots of things that we could kind of talk about with temperament, but ultimately what you want to know is just like what your qualities are. Do you like throw yourself in? Are you less aware of details? Are you less aware of the rules? If anything, like rules are meant to be broken, not, they're not meant to be followed. That's more of that impulsive type. The one who is fast paced, super extroverted, really excited about the party and where the party's at versus more of the planner, the one who wants to know what's going on, what's ahead, what's happening. And that individual is going to be a lot more detail oriented. They're going to be a lot more reserved in social situations or in new situations. And they're going to want to know a lot more about what's happening versus, you know, when is it happening? (laughs) They want to, they want the whole plan. Um, and then they may kind of, and then they, they can definitely kind of get, um, into it and, and that's where they can be comfortable and so forth. But if you can see like, those are differences and that is not learned. I mean, some of it is learned, but when we're born, we are born with certain temperaments and they've done lots of studies on babies to really come to understand what that, what temperament is all about. Um, and some really great, great studies have been done. Um, and yeah, and it's good to know that about yourself too. Yeah. I I remember recently watching the, uh, the, um, Oh, dang it. I'm blanking on it. The different attachment models uh, and watching the video of them taking the kids in the room and and, uh, having the parents leave the room and everything. And, you know, I mean, that is so early, right? That is so early on. But then there's also the idea that like it's in relation to our environment as well, right? So there's us and then there's the environment. It's the back and forth between the two. And so you see like someone with a certain attachment style with a parent of a different type of attachment style, it can exacerbate it. It can calm it. It can do all these different things. And so 
I think, you know, obviously we can't go back and change our childhood or anything, but when yeah. we're in the world, <laughs> in the world today, and we're dealing with new people and new relationships, new experiences, um, you know, it's going to bring all these things up. It's going to show the deficiencies. It's going to show the strengths. It's going to show everything. And I think to your point, none of these are good or bad. They're just different. Right. And so, um, you know, when you're in a work environment and you have a manager who has a different style than you or a different temperament than you or a coworker or whatever it might be, um, where, how have you seen people be able to develop tolerance to the differences and to the changes and to be able to flex themselves without, you know, harming that core essence or whatever it might be, right? Like where is like the room for tolerance and, and, and growth and flex and change, right? Cause I think a lot of what we're talking about here is trying to get to a place where, you know, you can navigate many different situations. You're not just going to go, here's my temperament. Let's narrow my life only to things that fit within that temperament. That's going to be pretty (laughs) brutal. Um, Right, right, right. So- And impossible. And impossible, right? (laughs) Unless you want to just like, (laughs) there's like a Lonely Island song about like FOMO. And it's like, just keep yourself in a room, never go outside, you know, cover yourself in mattresses, right? And so like- um we're going to have to go out into the world with these, these things. And we're seeing it cause a lot of issues for people in in lots of different situations. And, you know, going back to your original talk with the OCD piece and the rumination, we can really get into our own way. So how might we be able to um, understand ourselves, understand our temperament, and then be understanding of other people's. And then where is that ability to build a tolerance, build that ability and, and where might it be too much? Yeah. And I think you're hitting on, you know, there's, it's a balance, you know? And so there's the, um, this kind of like optimal performance. So let's, let's, it's the similar to, um, flow psychology that they actually work with, with athletes and that you want to find your, this space, you know, with people and recognizing and I think the way you described it is, is kind of the, you know, the pitfall for us as humans is that annoyance. I can't stand that person. I am, you know, what, why don't they get it? Like why they don't understand. And I think it's more about knowing what you're working with in like that optimal, you know, ability to navigate these social relationships, especially at work. And so you want to kind of see it from a spectrum of like, okay, is there, is there something that is happening that really is alarming, that is disrespectful, that is a safety concern that I am being targeted or so forth, or, you know, like we injustice and we want to notice that and we don't want to ignore those moments. And so we may have, we need different skills and we need different different ways to approach and intervene in those. And then there's, am I just avoiding completely? Or I just feel like, you know, no matter how hard I try, I don't feel like I'm being included, right? Like, I don't feel like I belong here. And that part of it is, you know, maybe making some bigger decisions around, maybe this just isn't the group for me, right? Like here's all these different groups of people in these different companies. And that's ultimately what it is. And it's like, is this, and you have the ability to transition to different groups 
to really find the place that you can thrive. And that's awesome. And that's our right. And that's our opportunity. Um, and so maybe then problem solving, okay, what's my strategy in order to do that and make that happen for myself versus these are annoyances. Like this is annoying. It's going to show up no matter where I work, like so-and-so I just don't like them. So, and you know, my boss is not so like, I'm very people oriented and my boss is very task oriented. And so I want to like warm up by talking to them and they don't, <laughs> they want to go through my to-do list and just be like, okay, I'm so glad you're getting everything done. Cause that's what they're focused on. Right. So how can I work with that? That I think you can, you can educate yourself of like listening to podcasts like this, going and reading books about temperament. You can talk, you can do disc, you know, you could do Myers-Briggs, you could do, you know, different, like they have so many different personality um, books out there and ways to work with people um, and just start to learn a little bit more and try to reduce the personalization of it. Meaning it's not because of you, you're not the problem, right? You are not someone that needs to compensate for the other person's personality. Instead, it's just, how do I bring it back to myself? How do I focus on myself rather than saying that person has to change in order for me to feel more comfortable? And instead, is this really the, you know, is this really the hill that I want to stand on or can I just let it go and, and notice the things that are going well in this organization or in this job? And these are just situations that are not as desirable, but they're not, they're not hurting me. They're not harming me. They just feel awkward. I love that. And, you know, I think that that's really important as people are dealing with these things, because when it comes to that rumination and that, you know, so often I'll talk to people and they'll say, why is the job search like this, right? Why isn't it better? Why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they getting back to me? And we try to break down like, well, you know, a week to someone at a company feels like a day oh my God. and a day an afternoon. To a, yeah. <laughs> And a day to a, to a job seeker feels like an eternity. So like, yeah. you've got to realize like perception is different and obviously we can intellectualize these things, but really getting it down into the body is, is the tough part. Yeah. Um, and trying to figure out the difference between harm and annoyance, I think is, is definitely worth worthwhile as people are trying to dig into this. And so let's say someone is, um, you know, going through all these different things and they're, all right, they're ready to maybe build some awareness, build some tolerance. I know we had mentioned um, that awareness to acceptance to action piece. I think that might be a fun place for us to to end on here today. So how might yeah. people develop that patience and acceptance? What are maybe some tools we can leave them with to get things started? Yeah, I think the first part, you know, back to like learning how to take care of ourselves, you know, so not really learning how to let go of the personalization of other people's emotions, thoughts, and actions and their behavior. And that ultimately how do, this is my life and how do I want to live it given the situation that I'm in? Cause that part of it, like I can't control what happens to me. I can only control how I respond to it. So 
I want to have, so I want to set myself up to be successful in this, in this, these tricky situations. So how do I come back to compassion? Cause I know the compassion and gratitude or, you know, giving myself space to figure this out is going to be so much more helpful. And I, and I say that, and I know like my mind's saying it to me, it's so much easier to say that than do it, which that's where like, for, for me, I, I have supporters. Like I have people in my life that when things are hard, I need, I need support. Like I need assistance. Like, so I need, I'm that type of person. I like to talk it through out loud or for, you know, for you, Martin, like you were saying, like the clients that you have, they know I need support through this. Cause this is hard for me. There's nothing wrong with that. Doing it isolated may not be the best way. And then figuring out what your options are so that, oh, that awareness of like, okay, what, what is this feeling that I'm having the acceptance of like, this is the situation that I'm in. What do I need in order to be effective in this situation? And then the action is what are my options and which one feels like there's no, like, I, you know, try not to get stuck in the, what's the most, what's the best answer to this. Cause there is no 100% guarantee in anything. So you just kind of have to go with what works for you today and it may change and that's okay. But just focusing on today. Love it. And I think that's a perfect spot to wrap up focus on today. Um, so Laura, as folks are listening to what you're saying and they want to dig in more and, and see more about what you're working on, where should they head? How can they follow along with your work and maybe even get involved? Absolutely. So head over to www.cliniciandevelopmentcollective.com. Um, and you know, there you can sign up and we can do, you know, like a 15 minute, just talk and, you know, for you to ask some questions. Um, also, you know, I have a podcast and I'm on social media. So just, um, the podcast is clinician to clinician with Lara Efland. Um, otherwise clinician development collective is really the name of the game. So you just follow that and you'll find me. Um, but yeah, I would love to talk with, you know, anyone, if they have any questions or, or, or anything, um, and we would love to have you be a part of um, our collective as well. I love it. That'll all be linked below. So everyone go check it out. And Laura, thank you for being here today. Thank you, Martin. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. If you found this conversation to be helpful, please like and subscribe wherever you are listening. We also appreciate it if you take the time to leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help us spread the word and get these ideas out to more job seekers looking to build their careers and improve their lives just like you. If you'd like to learn more about career therapy and see our different coaching options, you can head over to careertherapy.com to learn more. Thank you again for stopping by. We wish you all the best in the future of your career. Have a good one.